Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 55 of Ask the CEO with Avraham Gatile. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. She is an international branding expert, technology futurist, and marketing and digital strategy consultant, and CEO of Thulium. She is ranked by Clear in the top 1% of global social media influencers and listed as one of the top 50 social influencers of 2015, 2016, and 2017 by Analytica. She ranks top five in AI, robotics, and IoT, top 50 in big data, as well as top 15 in machine-to-machine, or M2M, top 50 in blockchain, and top 50 digital transformation influencer of 2016. She was named number one most influential woman in MarTech by B2B Marketing and ranked by Leetail as the second most mentioned person on Twitter by chief marketing officers. She's also an IBM futurist and creator of the trademark relationship method. She's a frequent keynote speaker and was ranked as the number one social influencer at numerous recent conferences in 2016 and 2017. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome the one and only Tamara McCleary. Welcome, Tamara. Hey. <laughs> wow. I was looking around for the person you were introducing. <laughs> um, no, it's my honor. It's, it truly is. I'm humbled. It's my pleasure to, to be here with you and um, to serve. You're, you have an amazing audience, by the way. I was reading some of the questions that people had posited prior to our talk here and thought, wow, you know what? I, I absolutely dig this audience. They're asking so many cool questions. And uh, uh, we're, we are definitely swimming in the same waters, my friend. For sure. And I totally agree. The audience is amazing. And they're the ones that make the show. It's because of them. Well, you know, what's funny is uh, you get, I, I think you get two types of individuals on social media. You get those that are really seeking that validation and popularity. So it's kind of the vanity metrics. And then you see the others that are, I think are frustrated professors and teachers, and they want to be out there helping to educate and guide because these are exciting times, but they're challenging times as well. And I think the, these are critical times for co-creating our future and I can tell from the questions in your audience that we have people in your audience who are definitely uh, the latter, the ones that are really interested in educating and having you know, a serious conversation about these topics. For sure. And that's what this platform is all about, educating the public. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. So Tamara, you know, one of the things that we both have in common is a shared passion for artificial intelligence. I know uh, you were recently talking about it at UX Next. What are your thoughts about where AI is headed and how it will impact our lives? Well, AI is already here. It's already a part of the fabric of our lives. And I think, you know, what I think we really need to be talking about is how do we want to shape the future uh, cooperation between human beings and artificial intelligence. And, you know, the digital assistants are here. Um, How many of you have a Google home or an Alexa? And, you know, I, there are some incredibly positive aspects to having AI within our lives. There are things that uh, are, you know, really routine rote tasks that can be, um, alleviated through an intelligent assistant that di- that would free us up to do more creative aspects um, within not only our professional lives but our personal lives. I mean, how many of us? <laughs> and I don't know if any of your audience members will chime in to support me here, but how many of us have a book or books living inside of us? But life is going so doggone fast that we almost don't have time to explore that part of ourselves because we're so busy trying to do all the things that we have to do before we do the things that we would like to do. And so AI, I think, um, offers us the opportunity to get rid of some of those more rote routine tasks that we don't need to do uh, to free us up to do, you know, projects that have depth and meaning for us. 
But I think where, you know, we have to be careful is, you know, in the realm of, say, marketing, mm -hmm. artificial intelligence is able to really, you know, we, we like to, especially, I think, you know, even I, right, we, we love to think that we are so unpredictable, that we're so novel and unique as a human being. But if you dive into artificial intelligence, you realize that human beings really aren't that unique um, as far as we are so predictable very predictable and we fool ourselves by think, thinking that we're not predictable but we are and so i think that one of the things i i would love us all to heed caution on is this level of personalization how much do we really want um someone to know about us in order to make our lives more easy or efficient right how much do we really want ai to know because i do believe that we're at an inflection point we are at a crossroads where we can choose to say, oh, this is so wonderful, this is so lovely, and we only look at all the, the dazzling parts of AI and we're not looking at the shadow side because, you know, my deeper beliefs are where there's light, there's dark, you know, and where there's efficiency, there's also what are you giving up for that efficiency? So I think it's more of a question of eyes wide open, making conscious decisions about what are we willing to give up in order to receive um, a more personalized experience, greater efficiency, you know, uh, a frictionless experience. What are we willing to give up? And what I caution all of us to do is to not sell our birthright for a bowl of soup. That is actually a great uh, analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I had a conversation with someone recently about autonomous vehicles. And, you know, <laughs> It's, that's going to be the next greatest thing to come out. It's going to totally disrupt so many industries. And one application we were talking about is not just having the convenience of being driven around by autonomous vehicles, but if you think about marketing, okay? So you're going to have Walmart and Target. They're going to compete with each other by sending the car to pick you up to take you to its store. And how much information are you willing to give up about yourself so that they can know what to blast you with marketing? They'll know when you go shopping so that they could have a car ready for you and all these other conveniences that will be available with, with the new technologies. You know, you're right. And it's already here, right? So we're not even talking about the future. We're talking about right now. Scary. I have a really good colleague um, that's well steeped in this industry as well. And she was telling me that she was on a Skype, audio Skype call, not video. It was an audio call. And she was talking to another colleague um, and she happened to mention a product. And she started getting retargeted advertising about that product. And she had never typed it, never done a search, never done anything, just one audio Skype call. So... You know, to me, it's like Orson Welles, 1984, you know, Big Brother's watching, but, you know, it, it's artificial intelligence. So it's already enabled and it's picking up everything, not only what we type and what we search for, but what we speak now. And how many, how many of us have a Amazon Alexa and Echo or, you know, Google Home? How many? And you don't think that it's listening? And come on, how many of us are without this, right? And how many applications do you think have the ability to tune in and listen or activate your camera? So, you know, we have to start having this conversation, not about the future, but about right now. Because my hesitation is that, you know, human nature is, oh, gee, this is horrible. I hope somebody does something about it. And human nature is, it's not my responsibility. I'm going to abdicate my responsibility because I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't have time. Um, but I hope somebody else takes care of this problem. And what I think is dangerous about that is that if the majority of the population just likes to complain but doesn't execute on anything, then we're going to all wake up someday and hate what we have. But can we really complain if we haven't done something about it? And so my call to action to everyone is, you know, this is wonderful. I love technology. I mean, this is the waters I swim in. It's delicious. 
But all I'm saying is, can we be conscious about our creations and not just create because we can, but creatively, we can be very conscious and then look for the consequences of our creations. Because for, you know, every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? Yeah, exactly. We don't defy the laws of the universe just because we happen to have some new technology. So, you know, my call out there, or I guess my purpose out there is to go, yes, I love this. I embrace technology as much as anyone. I mean, I, I drive a Model X. I am wildly excited about the solutions that it provides for me, for someone who has trouble driving at night or in inclement weather, um, just because of, you know, visual issues. But you know, these are, you know, and I think about like, I have an elderly father-in-law and I think about someday being able to just have transportation for him to take him to his millions of doctor's appointments. And you know, with my travel schedule, I'm just not there. And how many of us have aging parents that, you know, all of these technology pieces could be very useful and valuable and provide a great service to humanity and be very supportive. But as we're creating these things, we also need to be mindful of what are the possible shadow sides to this so that we can just be really, really sure of what we're doing and talk about it and not be afraid to talk about it. And then second, not just have discussions. How many of us have been through, through discussions on all kinds of topics, but there's no execution? And, and what is the accountability for companies creating technology? Is there accountability? Or are we just free to go ahead and unleash our creations out into the universe? Um, that's my questions. And that's a great point. And it's actually very pertinent right now because, you know, as we know, there's the new GDPR, which is the data privacy law. That right. is May. Everybody needs to be compliant by May. And, and that's going to be a blanket law. And something I was talking about actually just yesterday with someone about GDPR is that it's going to be interesting to see how that affects the global marketplace. Because as we know, GDPR is in Europe. So let's see, I have a local business here in the United States that does absolutely no business with Europe. So there's no, uh, I forgot what the clause is like ex expatriate law or uh, Anybody, like even if you're a, an American business or outside of Europe, but if you do business in Europe with, or if you have clientele from, that are European citizens, it, it affects you. But let's say it doesn't. And it's just local here in the country. But it'll be interesting to see how the law of capitalism plays a role in the adoption of that law, because it'll start to become, my opinion at least, is that it'll start to become perceived as the gold standard. People see, oh, there's this law in Europe that protects the privacy of their citizens. Well, this company is GDPR compliant. Why aren't you GDPR compliant? You, may, you must be hiding something. So it'll be interesting to see how many businesses will become voluntarily compliant, even if the law doesn't apply to them. Well, and the thing is, as we look to the future, you know, if you're, if you're an organization that's not prepared to do business globally, I wonder about the longevity of the organization. I mean, the universe is now global thanks to social media. So how do you prevent someone from having a transaction with your organization that happens to be just, you know, within the, you know, you prevent anyone outside of the U.S., you know. I'm working with companies that are global scale, so B2B and enterprise. So everyone, you know, has to be GDPR compliant by that May date. And I do think that, you know, it's interesting. So in so many respects, you know, Europe is far ahead of the United States with respect to how they protect their citizens. If you even look at the ingredients in your Starbucks coffee are totally different when you order it in London than when you order it here. Why? Because they are prohibited from having any sort of uh, products with GMOs. Whereas in the United States, we're like this giant test tube for the world that goes, hey, Americans don't mind about having all kinds of pesticides and genetically modified ingredients in their products. Let's test it on the United States citizens. And so far, you've not seen anybody boycott their Starbucks drinks because in the US, we want, out, we want what we want when we want it, we want it now. And 
you know, people aren't concerned about genetically modified organisms. But in Europe, you, you will have a different ingredient within your coffee than you have here. And that's to your point that you mentioned earlier, which is people love complaining, but they don't execute. It's like complaining about who was elected um, I don't know, president. President works a little differently, but your local uh, congressman or whomever, right? But then you don't go out to vote. No, do not inconvenience anyone, you know, and, and it, you, you see this on social media too. I've seen it with friends who do B2C businesses. They'll have huge followings on Facebook. And the minute they ask their Facebook audience to say buy their product, even if it's a small dollar item, like some sort of, you know, webinar for, you know, $5.97, it's like crickets and a ghost town. Nobody shows up. And the only post they show up on is a post of a chicken or a puppy. And then it's like, you know, a billion likes and re, you know, reshares. But the minute you ask somebody to do something, and, and to me, this is indicative of a deeper psychological piece, you know, within our culture, which is I am happy to support you as long as you don't ask me to do something. And, you know, as marketers, that can be very frustrating. <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to say, <laughs> anyone who's watching this, if you are doing B2C and you've ever tried to try to offer your product to your fans and no one buys, I say, you know, wouldn't you agree? It's, it's, it's cultural. It's where we're at right now. This is why I bloody love being in B2B and enterprise because, you know, in B2B and enterprise sales, you know, what we're offering is solutions to business problems. And to me, that's where we are able to have actual conversions and transactions when you're offering a solid business solution to a business problem. Um, but consumers in general, I think, are finicky. And I think consumers in general really don't want to be inconvenienced. And this is my fear when you look at the future, the future of work. You look at artificial intelligence. Um, people are, they're going to watch and go, yeah, you're right. This is really scary. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to have all these jobs displaced. But you see anybody taking any sort of action other than complain. No, you don't. Yeah. For sure. Let's, let's segue back to uh, AI and marketing. You know that recently LinkedIn started uh, putting in some AI into their messaging where now you can just click a button and it, it will just throw back a canned response. And then um, like you have that on your cell phone as well, you know, for text messaging. Uh, Apple's got that. I imagine Google has their own uh, version in Android, or if they don't, they will soon. Uh, where do you think people are going to take this with marketing? It's going to get better. You know, I, I, when you look at uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, you know, we are just on the precipice. I think we're, you know, evolutionarily on AI where it explodes is when we have, um, you know, if you look at the chatbots now, they're early on, right? So it's going to get better. If you look at effective computing um, and the ability to create AI to have an emotional response, kind of match and mirror, if anyone's ever done any sales, if you match and mirror on a sales call, you have higher conversions. As AI starts to be able to match and mirror a human's feelings and emotions and read that, read the sentiment and reply and respond to that, I think you're going to see um, human beings actually projecting uh, emotions onto computers. You know, we already do that with animals, right? How many people believe that their dog or their cat feels this or thinks that? You're going to start seeing as AI becomes more sophisticated with effective computing and this emotional connection, you're going to see people starting to project onto their intelligent assistants or the chatbots that it's got human qualities to it. Um, and so to my point of when this all really explodes is when we pair artificial intelligence and machine learning with quantum computing. And, you know, if you look at, you know, we haven't talked yet about the internet of things, but you look at the internet of things and billions of devices connected and, and, and sending signals from the sensors and we're collecting data. It's impossible for us right now to really harness 
a lot of meaningful insights from the data without artificial intelligence because we need the speed. It's just so much, yeah. Imagine the speeds with which we will have when we have quantum computing. To me, that's where we leap into. So if you look at machine learning being machines are able to make decisions in the moment based on information, right? And so when you have, say, for instance, let's take a, a today fact. So, you know, I have a Tesla and it has a lot of cameras and it's giving me information about where other vehicles are. And if it has to stop really fast, it's not waiting for some programmer to go, yes, you're right, you are less than 15 inches from the car, so stop. No, the car is making a decision to stop. That's machine learning. The machine is actually making a decision without human intervention. So if you bring in quantum computing, um, where you know you basically, in two places at once, right? So it's going to blow our minds. It's just, if you're not into quantum mechanics, quantum physics, quantum computing, look it up because it's mind blowing. And that's what I like to geek out on. But apply machine learning and AI to that. And that's when we see this next evolution that we can't even have conversations about in reality now, but we should be having conversations about what it means because machines will be making decisions independent of human beings. And this is where we come back to what does this mean? And when your chatbot, when your AI starts to have the ability to sense your emotions and respond and react to you in an emotional way, and then we as human beings through our own just natural inclination start to project human properties onto that AI, it's a whole new world. For sure. It'll, it'll be fascinating to see what actually uh, transpires. Well, they say uh, people will marry their AI. And then, you know. It's not far from the truth. I can see that happening. Come on, look how many, how many people do we know that absolutely are in suffering within their relationships because they don't actually, they don't there's care. a lot of things about their partner that annoy them. But what if your AI knew you so well and, you know, did everything that you wanted, made your life so efficient and convenient? Of course, we would be inclined to maybe fall in love with that because our real human being is a huge failure on that. <laughs> end, right? Human beings disappoint. That's, I mean, we're human, right? It's only human. Well, what if you have AI that is so exquisitely on top of all of your needs, wants, and desires? I mean, don't fool yourselves. I think people will really fall in love with that because it, it's human to fall in love with something that's always responsive. But here's the funny thing I always say is that, you know, if you've ever had a crazy ex, have you ever had a crazy ex? You probably haven't. If you've ever had a crazy ex, and it doesn't have to be marital, right? Just back in your dating years, did you ever date in college? Um, you know, if, think about if you pair or partner with AI, and I always say, you know, Tim Berners-Lee, he talks about how the singularity will really be the cloud, right? Because we're all already tethered to the cloud. We are all already attached to the cloud. Yeah. So say the cloud is the it, and the cloud is now someone that you are, you know, through your intelligent assistant, you've fallen in love with. And you want to be out of the relationship. How do you get away from the cloud? <laughs> You'll have to reprogram your ex. <laughs> At that point, I don't even know if you can reprogram it. It's in the cloud, right? You, you know, yeah. Anyway, I already think we've been assimilated. Well, how many people take the phone to bed and wake up with the phone? We sleep, so the stats are, we sleep next to our phones more than we do our significant other. That's the truth. It sure is, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've, you know, so that's why I, I, I laugh when people want to talk about the future. I'm like, let's talk about right now. Let's talk about how we are already. So this mobile device has already been woven into the fabric of our very human existence. Look at children now. Children are always looking for either the phone or the iPad or some device. And, you know, these are our digital natives. It's already a part of our DNA. Yeah, absolutely. So, Tamara, this is really fascinating stuff. I just wanted to take a few minutes and talk about uh, your business, Dulia. Yeah. 
if you could yeah. just uh, talk a little bit about it and uh, what it's about. Yeah, so thulium, you know, because I'm such a geek, right? So thulium, if any of you are into science, is that it's on the periodic table of elements. So it's a metal, but it's a rare metal that's also flexible. So I feel like these times require strength, um, but flexibility and agility. And so that's how I named the organization. We are a market leader, actually, in social media branding and marketing uh, strategies for the Fortune 500, along with international companies in the tech, AI, IoT, mobile, and utility spaces. Um, so I, I think it's a, an incredible time to be doing this. And I made a decision actually about six years ago for our agency to focus solely on the vertical of social media for organizations because, you know, and I find this with all organizations, it's no longer about being all things to all people. Yeah. That's why you see big brands partnering with other brands. And I realized, you know, in the marketing space, it's, it's too huge for any agency to do all things. And so I decided what was really the most interesting to me was taking B2B and enterprise onto the social media space and looking at social media account-based marketing and doing uh, and creating a uh, human connection to brands. So humanizing those brands, um, creating engagement for the brands. Cause I see that most brands have a problem being caught in the echo chamber. So they're only talking to themselves. They'll, they'll post something and it's only that brands, you know, employees that are liking and retweeting. So that's not effective. You need engagement from the outside. You need to be able to pull in your target audience. And you only do that through humanizing the brand and creating genuine conversations instead of, you know, PR companies just pushing out messaging, which is, is a huge epic fail on social media. Social media is not a free platform for advertising. It should be and always has been social, which is let's have a conversation, let's engage, and let's not just talk about ourselves. Let's talk about what's important within the industry, um, solutions, but also problems. Because any organization now that says they have the answer to everything, everyone knows is total BS and they don't believe them and it destroys the brand. And, you know, it's so true what you're saying. And this goes back to how we started our conversation with AI, because the big brands, they have this reputation almost as being just this faceless entity um, that's not relatable to the people. Right. And that is so wonderful what you're doing is that you're making it social, which is what social media is all about. Absolutely. And, you know, you're right. I think it's, you know, I think the mistake that brands make is trying to look so perfected. And we all know that's not true. Um, and I think that it's about admitting all that you are and all that you're not and all that you're trying to be. And then including others in the conversation. I mean, one of the biggest things that I encourage brands to do is share other people's stuff. Talk about other people. Um, you know, have conversations on other people's posts as well. So that it's just not me, 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 me. Nobody cares about that. Yeah. And, you know, it's important for any brand and any person, because it's the same thing for a personal brand. It's important for brands to establish their thought leadership. So where do they want to be the thought leader? And then they need to set themselves up as the mentor, the leader, the guide, the go-to. And people don't go to anyone or any brand that's just pushing out, ooh, look how great we are. Look at all of our awards and accolades. Look at our new product. Nobody cares. So what they do care about is someone who's in the trenches, sleeves rolled up, ready to dive in, admitting the problems, looking for solutions, and is a trusted advisor. And there are no shortcuts to relationships. Relationships are built on trust and trust is built over time. And that's what companies must do. That's what brands must do. And that's what individuals must do on social media if they want to build a thought leadership. That is so true. And it's also a very prudent idea to interact with others. Because if you think about it, if it's just you and you're just talking about yourself, right? 
even if people are interested in what you have to say, it's a finite group. But if you talk on other people's channels and you're having collaborations with others, now you're exposed to a whole new channel, a whole new distribution channel. So you, in effect, just uh, grew your distribution exponentially with each person you bring on. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's about leadership, right? So, you know, there's, there's no leadership in narcissism. And I think it's limited leadership. You know, if this is about be popular or, you know, likes and retweets alone, that's, to me, that's empty. Yeah. And, you know, I always am asking, okay, why would anybody want to follow me? Why would anyone want to follow you? Why would anyone want to follow any organization? And hopefully there's a higher purpose at work here. Hopefully it's because we care and not that we are mimicking that we care. Because to me, that's, you know, just from a spiritual perspective, it's really important that something be genuine. Otherwise it's like noise. It's like, you know, symbols banging out there. It's a lot of noise, but nothing behind it. To me, it's like, you know, show me that there's something there. Show me that you care. And why do you care? You know, why do you, you know, you want to be in social media? Why do you want a thought leadership? Is it really about you? Because to me, in the end, that's boring. It's banal. It's bland. There's nothing there. Isn't it because you care about something bigger? You know, why are you here? And when you leave here, how is this place going to be better than once you came? And it's the same for an organization. What is your mission? What is your vision? What do you hope to accomplish here? What do you really care about? And companies that don't have that, that really don't have the why figured out are never going to survive long term because I believe people are getting smarter and savvier. And the more technology we have, the more we crave yeah. our meaning. Uh, you know, one thing that you're saying is really connecting with me. Um, I, I recently listened to the audiobook for Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. Mm. And I so believe that because, and it, it goes even more to what you said. It goes, I think it's one, one step further. And that is, besides they're getting savvier, but there's just so much noise out there. Everybody's the best. Everybody is top quality. Everybody is, you know, chosen by all, all the experts. So suddenly it's a blank slate. Now everybody's the same. So there's nobody to stand out. And what you said, people are getting savvier because now you need to really hone in on what is truly important. And then that's where that why comes in. People connect that when they feel drawn to something, that's who they follow and that's where they go to. You know, that I think it's just because honestly, we are human beings. And, yeah. you know, as of yet, technology has not evolved to a place where we have unlimited life. And, you know, I think there comes a point, maybe it's my age, I don't know, but there comes a point in time when you start thinking legacy and, you know, why are we here? Why are we even doing this? Um, social media takes a lot of time and energy. So to me, it's, you know, do you have a lot of time to waste? I mean, the, the norm currently is a state of overwhelm for everyone. So you know, social media needs to be extremely strategic as far as why am I here? You know, I don't need to just be posting things that have no meaning to them because I don't have the time and neither do you. And so I think when we appeal to um, a deeper sense, that's how we cut through the noise. That's how we become the signal in the noise is when we are actually offering something of value and then in turn, if we're offering something of value and we're actually connecting to people and helping them solve problems and find solutions, then I do think we get something back in the fact that we're actually making a contribution because at our basic core, human beings need work that is meaningful and real. And, you know, this plays into employee engagement and how organizations really need to provide communication and engagement within their organization to make those people feel valuable and to be able to connect the dots to what they're doing and what it means to the organization 
And then consumer facing, it's the same thing, is making the consumer feel a part of it all, feel important, feel connected, feel cared for. Why? Because whether you're a consumer or you're an employee, you're a human being. And this life, you're always looking for meaning. And it's a sad, sad place when we're not finding meaning in our day. And it's a beautiful thing when you can use your power and your talent and your gifts to make someone else, just one person, feel valued and cared for and heard and seen in a day. Yeah, wow. And that is so profound. And for all of us listening, you know, we have something deeper to strive for, and there's a much deeper meaning for sure. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, so tomorrow, I love what you're saying, I, and this is a great conversation. How did you get started in all this? Oh, my goodness. You know, my journey is so convoluted. I started off in the 80s as a registered nurse. Uh, so I am an RN, and I have a Bachelor's of Science in Nursing, and I started off in trauma nursing, life flight, so the helicopter nursing neonatal intensive care. And then my last clinical position was as a pediatric hospice case manager. So all of my kids had a diagnosis that gave them six months or less to live. And, you know, to me, that was probably the most incredible, profound work I've ever done. And, um, you know, after needing a little bit of a break from death and dying, I went back to graduate school to study molecular physiology in a PhD program because being confronted with cancer on a daily basis at that time, I decided, you know, I want to cure cancer. <laughs> I got to find an answer for all of this because um, I saw how much suffering in the world was caused by cancer. And it was actually in that program that I found that, you know, me in a lab coat, you know, looking into a microscope and isolating enzymes on end wasn't me. Yes, do I want to cure cancer, but more deeply what I found is I want to alleviate suffering. And um, so I, I did a research project at uh, Stanford University where we were looking at women who had breast cancer and why some women seem to live longer than others after a diagnosis. Some, t some women seem to you know, have a complete recovery and others then had a recurrence and then died. And what was interesting is it really had little to do with their actual cancer diagnosis and more to do about other variables about their personality. So um, the ones that seemed to live longer or recover completely, there were two salient differences about them. One was they had a strong support system whether that was a church or spiritual connection, or it could be their knitting group. It didn't matter. And men knit too. So I'm not saying knitting uh, with respect to just being women, but at this time in San Francisco, knitting was really popular. There was even knitting circles in bars. So it was pretty cool. Um, but, you know, if you were a part of something, that was one variable. The other one was, um, and you probably can relate to this and anyone who's listening can relate to this is that have you ever met someone who they have a problem they want to share it with you it seems like they want your advice you give them your advice and then they say yeah but and they have a reason why it won't work for them so that's what we kind of coined as this negatively wired person that they kind of always saw why it wouldn't work for them or why it was negative and then you have someone who only seems to see the positive or what could happen or the opportunity and that's a positively wired person so this got me into another realm of thinking deep about how we perceive ourselves so much differently than what's true right we all have this perception of ourselves and i bet if we pulled everyone around us we'd be shocked that that's not their same perception and so what we saw was that people make decisions not based on what they think they want they make decisions based on these unconscious cognitions. And this got me involved with artificial intelligence and machine learning and, you know, how we really are predictable. But the reason we think we're not predictable is we believe one thing and do another. And the machine knows this. It's just like the last time you thought, okay, I'm going to 
eat healthier. I'm going to choose a salad. And then when the opportunity comes, you're at a business dinner, what do you pick? You didn't pick the salad. (laughs) So machines already know this about us. And so that got me involved in marketing. um, And I brought to market one of the very first wrist worn technologies. And it was in the early 90s. And it was going to be absolutely world changing, I thought because it would disrupt the current gold standard at that time, which was the halter monitor. And so if someone was having a cardiac arrhythmia until that time, you would get hooked up to a halter monitor and for like 24, maybe 48 hours. And you would have to have your symptoms during that 24 or 48 hour period, or it wouldn't get captured. So, you know, if it's not going to happen during that time, it didn't get diagnosed. This wrist-worn technology, you'd wear it for a month. And whenever you had your symptoms of feeling faint or palpitations, you would activate the watch. It would record your EKG. And then this is back in the days of modems. I don't know if you remember a modem. So you'd hook it up to the modem and you would be able to transmit it and they could diagnose your arrhythmia. And a lot of these arrhythmias were life-threatening, such as ventricular tachycardia, right? We could get atrial fibrillation. We could do that. So... I thought this was going to be awesome. Well, guess what? Nobody wanted to buy it. No hospital systems, no HMOs. Nobody wanted to buy it. Why? The cardiologists were totally stuck on this. Halter monitor. Halter monitor. So it was perception. So the technology was before. It It was before the time. Public was willing to embrace it. Yeah. And so then I thought, all right, how do I apply what I've learned through all of this research and science is that we have to shift marketing. We have to turn it on its head. It can no longer be about how great the solution is and how great the product or service is. And instead, marketing must come from the angle of what the greatest fear is. Mm-hmm. And you have to market the fear. Why? People never buy for pleasure. People only buy to avoid pain. People never run toward what they want or everybody would be at the gym. People run away from what they don't want, which is why they have that extra glass of wine or that slice of pie after dinner. So marketing has to come from where human beings operate from. And that is talking about their pain, their suffering, and then weaving in the solution. So I turned that around with this device, and that's when we got buy-in from all the HMOs, managed care centers, from the hospital systems. And then to me, that was like, all right, time to start my own agency and start doing this with every great product, because I have to believe in the product or service, and then I can, I can weave the marketing messaging to reach the target market in the way they need to be reached. And I saw no greater vehicle six years ago than social media, which is why I decided at that time to make the executive decision. We only focus on social media and that's how we get our target market. Wow, mind blowing stuff. I mean, this is like the key to marketing right there. So Tamara, what were some of the biggest challenges that you experienced along the way? Oh, wow. I, you know, I could have my postdoctoral fellowship and challenges. Uh, you know, a lot of things, just life in general. I'm, you know, a human being. I, I have a son. I was a single parent for eight years while, you know, running a global agency. Um, and being a woman in technology, that's, you know, a huge challenge. Um, you know, usually I'm the only one, you know, on stage for a keynote, if that's because most of the time women, we're lucky if we get maybe a moderation slot, we can moderate a panel, but we're often not on the keynote. Um, And, you know, just having to battle those types of things has been really challenging. You know, um, you know, that I think at my core, I'm still just a nurse. I like to go into companies who have amazing marketing departments because I just work with their marketing department I like to go in and diagnose disease, disease within an organization so that we can cut it out so that there's not only healing, but then there's incredible exponential growth. Um, And I just think that the challenges have been being a woman in tech, uh, being a mom, 
and uh, trying to have and lead and live a genuine, authentic expression in my life to practice what I preach, to not say what I don't do myself. Um, and then my greatest gift in life is, you know, my son has autism and um, he has kicked my booty <laughs> because I am forced to live every single day um, being faced with every which way that I am not in integrity with my message because he'll point it out. And, you know, as painful as that has been, it's been an incredible gift and it's made me a better person. And I can honestly say now that I strive to be more like him versus make him like the rest of us. That is really beautiful. So Tamara, what keeps you motivated every day? Uh, my, my love for people. I care so much about us and where we're headed. And, um, you know, life is short. <laughs> and, you know, I think there's no, you know, no better calling than to care about somebody else. And, you know, I, I have a personal interest in technology just because I'm a geek. I mean, I'm a sci-fi fanatic. I can hang out and talk with you. Any of you guys who want to talk about, you know, uh, Star Wars is a huge, you know, uh, uh, obsession, I will call it. I almost hesitate before I said obsession. <laughs> Star Trek. Oh, my gosh. You know, Gene Roddenberry is like a huge, um, huge icon for me. And he was amazing. But uh, I think what keeps me going is the fact that, I think human beings are worth it. I think we're worth it. I think we're worth the time and the energy. We're in such an incredible space right now. I mean, the, the technology is exploding like no other time in history. So there's no other time that calls upon us to stand and be counted and to create something wonderful for our children or our children's children. And if your aunts or uncles for your, you know, the human race, the people you care about, and um, even the people you don't know that you care about is to be here now and involved in conversations and willing to execute. So I'm trying to be that person who doesn't just like and retweet people on social media. And when they do have a value prop or they do have something worthwhile, I like to try to support that and put my money where my mouth is. But you know, it's about people. I want everyone to feel significant, valuable, and to champion them to take a stand and to do something with their life, to make this place better than when they came. I'm still a hospice nurse, I think. <laughs> really nice. That's your unique uh, properties, your superpower. My superpower is uh, forgiveness. So true. It doesn't weigh you down. No, I, you know, forgiveness leads to gratitude, which I think is probably the most powerful emotion on the planet is gratitude. Um, second is love, but gratitude. We are so spoiled. We have no idea what we have. And the fact of the matter is this morning when all of us got up, we flicked on the light and the lights came on. We turned on the faucet and clean drinking water came out. I don't think anyone listening or watching is for want for food. We are so spoiled and I'm so grateful for everything that I have. And I think that gratitude leads then to forgiveness because we can see how much we do have and have compassion on others who maybe are in suffering and we can't see it. Yeah, for sure. So Tamara, many of our listener base are CEOs and entrepreneurs. And you know, there's a statistic that many small businesses will fail during the first year in business. Where do you think entrepreneurs go wrong and what advice would you give entrepreneurs of uh, startups? That's such a great question. And it's, you know, I think it's about seeing past what you think your great idea is and instead going, okay, who does this great idea serve? Um, and is it different? So what is your value proposition? What is your differentiation? Um, are you a me too product? Or what I see in the startup community, because I lived so long in Silicon Valley, I can't tell you how many startups I've been through and, 
is you get blinded by how uh, great you think your startup is. And I think that's a blind spot is to, it's great that you have an idea or a product or service, but take that extra time to look at who does it serve? How does it serve them? How is it different? And then how are you going to reach your target market in a way that's meaningful and real to them so that it makes them want to take an action and convert and buy your product or service? That's the real differentiator. Mm, that's great advice. So Tamara, I love what you got going on here. Where do you think you'll be taking your business, say, in the next five years? <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I work with some incredible companies doing some amazing innovation. Um, so for me, it keeps me on my toes with thinking forward 20 steps ahead as to the solutions that it will solve for problems that are coming in the future, right? So it's not just problems today. Um, I'm thinking about what problems will we have in the future and how will these solutions or future solutions serve those problems so that, you know, I'm ahead of the game. It, nobody, no one can be successful today by just working with what's working today or what problems are today. We all have to be future forward. So Thulium, I believe, is an organization that I want to take forward and deeper into artificial intelligence and harness the power of artificial intelligence to solve solution, solve problems and offer solutions in the future um, within the realm of uh, storytelling and marketing and reaching a target market in a more profound, personalized, but also very delicate and exquisite way that meets the customer where they want to be meted on the channel they want to be met at, when they want to be met at with the right messaging. Great. And who would be a perfect fit for Thulium? A perfect fit. Well, any B2B or enterprise um, is, is our perfect fit. Um, you know, we are working with big companies like, um, you know, Huawei is a great company, really love what they're doing. I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, that company. Um, Dell is another company. Um, SAP um, that we're working with, love Leonardo. And of course, you know, IBM and Watson. So I think the companies that are best suited for the work that we do at Thulium are larger organizations that, you know, are, are stuck in an echo chamber. And so some of these legacy organizations don't know how to get out of talking to themselves and how do they reach their target market? And how do they get involved in the conversation? How do they interact with influencers? And, and so any of those organizations are a great fit for us because I think that's what we are exquisitely good at doing. Great. And if you could turn back the clock, let's say 12 months, would there be anything differently that you do? Um, just 12 months. Hmm. You know, it could I... be longer. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I've been, I've been, uh, I've been, these are the questions I ask myself every year. So I have this ritual that I do. I don't know if you have a ritual or not, but um, you know, over December, I have this ritual that I do where I'm really contemplating what we did last year and myself. I do this not only for the business, but I do it for my, myself, what we did, what we didn't do. Um, and then when I'm looking at starting the new year, I make a list of, and you know, I think this is particularly important for entrepreneurs or, or women, because women usually are looking at what didn't I accomplish? Um, but entrepreneurs do this too. And I know a lot of men who do this as well. So instead of looking at what we didn't do, what I like to try to do to stay positively wired, because you know from my background, it's really important that we are positively wired, is to look at what did we do right? What did we achieve? And start celebrating those wins, you know? Did you make it to your kids' games last year? Celebrate that win, that's huge. 
Did you take time to listen to your significant other? Celebrate that as a win, because I'm telling you these are important things in the scheme of your life. Did you take time for your own health and fitness? Did you make your doctor's appointments? Did you do these things? These are the things that I think will spell success in your business. And then celebrate all the little wins within your company or within your organization. And then still move forward into what you want for next year. But, you know, I think it's really important for us to celebrate what we did do because we forget about that and we can be hard on ourselves and only think about all the things that we didn't do. And what's the quality of your relationships? To me, that's super important because I will tell you that the quality of your relationships can make or break your experience of this life. You know, and at the end of it all, are are you really going to care about that deal that fell through? I don't think so. But you are going to care about that relationship that you let slip by. So think about what really matters. Let's get in touch with reality again. I think sometimes when we're really busy, we forget about what's really important. And it's the quality of your relationships that either help you excel in business or excel personally. But it really will give you that experience of how well you feel you're doing in your life. Yeah, for sure. So we have a question from Carl Hornet. He's a QA tester with Spotify in New York City. Carl asks, what future do you think is more likely? A future where humans still have the jobs they have today, but use AI as a tool or assistant, or a future where AI has replaced humans in a lot of jobs and a company can be almost fully automated end to end? Yeah, I love this question by Carl. And Carl, last night I actually watched the original Terminator again with my son. (laughs) So, you know, it's a great question. And it's a question we should be having. And by the way, love Spotify, like Spotify rocks. Uh, But, you know, I don't think this is really an either or kind of question. And you probably know this too, Carl. I I think it's it's a gradation, right? It's, uh, It's steps. And as we move forward, I believe over the next 10 years, when I put my futurist hat on, you know, it's my impression that AI is going to continue to be more of a tool or an intelligent assistant for us. But if we future cast even forward, I think that you're going to see humans continuing to being replaced with automation. Why? Because businesses are in business for business growth bottom line is return on investment and artificial intelligence does not have all of the human hiccups right and so you know jobs that are going to be easily automated will be uh, they humans will be replaced by ai no doubt about it so it is a future of both that you mentioned i think the big question is how how is society going to adjust to this this is a society question um this is a social experiment. It's, it's what are we gonna do with all these displaced workers? And we're already seeing experiments with a universal income. And you know, a lot of people don't like this idea, but you know, it's not about liking or not liking the idea. It's what we talked about earlier, which is we have to be very pragmatic about solutions and what's going to happen. And as workers are displaced, what's the practical solution to this? So right now I don't see any other option than this universal wage Um, about 10 to 15 years from now. Again, I'm going to project as a futurist about 10 to 15 years from now um, with the level of displacement. This is where we're going to be seeing this universal wages, universal income uh, come into play. Great. So tomorrow, one of your social contacts says, hi, we have a question from Ian Moyce, sales director at Natterbox in the UK. So Ian says, there is much talk of Snapchat as a new medium superseding Twitter and other social networks. Are we in a time where the traditional social networks such as Twitter and Instagram are at risk of being displaced? Or do you think we'll continue with the four main, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for the foreseeable future? Hi, Ian. Hey, that, you know, that's a good question. And um, this is definitely a shout out to Ian because I I've I've been chatting and knowing Ian online for a while, and he is an amazing guy. Um, It's a it's a great question, but you know, Snap is an interesting case study. 
just the other day, they announced they're going to rebuild the app from scratch to better meet their business needs. And it's going to take over a year to do this. Um, I also think Snapchat's bleeding cash and advertisers don't feel their app has been very good at driving sales. So I think that, you know, Snapchat has some serious problems in the near term. What I see from B2B and enterprise is that Snapchat is not a social channel for B2B and enterprise. Um, it's, it's just not a great vehicle for that. Um, right now, to me, the big four are still where they're at. Uh, when looking internationally, however, there are a number of networks that are growing quickly. Um, for example, you know, Weibo and WeChat in China um, are far superior to what we have, I have to say. I don't know how many about you there use WeChat, but I do. And I have uh, Chinese clients. And when I'm in, in China, I've got to tell you, you know, we are definitely not ahead of the game. They are. Um, and companies need to consider becoming involved in these networks, you know, as well. So, you know, again, we have to take off our blinders. We don't want to only, you know, look here in the United States. Um, there's a lot of growth happening in other countries. And I don't think right now, to me, Snapchat's on my radar. And I would stick with the big four for now. Great. So we have a question from Jamie Kotaya, who's the CEO of tech and telecom PR firm, Jamie Scotto and Associates. Jamie asked, how do you see AI affecting marketing and branding in the coming year or two? Oh, well, a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot going on. There's so much potential with AI in marketing. I mean, we're using AI in marketing. Um, we're not only um, using it, but we're experimenting with new uh, vehicles within AI. But AI is making a tremendous difference already. You know, AI is in our current, not our future. We're already using that technology. But, you know, it's already driving CRM systems and is beginning to drive many websites as well to create a personalized experience. Um, this is the big area we'll see AI drive change, the personalization experience. Um, we are all going to receive and continue to get more and more targeted advertising to match our needs, wants, and desires. So um, AI, watch that. To me, that's where the big growth is going to be, AI affecting, affecting marketing and branding. So yes. So we have a question from Ken Heron. He's the chief marketing officer of Unified Inbox in Orlando, Florida. Okay. And says, hi, Tamara. You always have a great perspective on how best to use content to engage people online. As 2018 is just around the corner, what do you recommend businesses start doing that they're not doing today to be successful in 2018? Oh, hi, Ken. Thank you. Wow. That's a big question, right? <laughs> it's, it's a great question, Ken, but it's a difficult one to answer as so many businesses are at different points within their evolution and their needs. Um, you know, I do think businesses must begin to spend more time, no matter their size, um, engaging and interacting with their customers and their prospects. Um, building relationships, I believe, is mission critical to building a brand. And most businesses do not fully understand the power of relationship building. And they leave this to social media broadcasting or targeted email campaigns. And that just is, um, like I, I said earlier, it's an epic fail. Um, real relationships are built one-on-one, -on -one, caring about your customers and demonstrating it on a regular basis. And it's engagement, engagement, engagement. Being an engaged brand means building business because you're building relationships. Our next question is from Jay McBain. He's a principal analyst at Global Channels at uh, Forrester Research in Albany, New York. So Jay asks, what are the differences between B2B and B2C marketing through social channels? And what does a brand need to do differently to reach these different audiences? Hi, Jay. You know, that's a great question. Um, there definitely are differences, Jay, but really, uh, you know, B2B and enterprise versus B2C are really much more similar than people realize. You know, uh, what B2B brands need to embrace is that, yes, they are selling to another company, but at that same time, 
the other company is actual people making the purchasing decisions, right? So in a, in a B2B or enterprise solution sale, maybe there's five decision makers. And the challenge, which I like to look at as an opportunity, I mean, it's like, it's what we love to do over here, is we look at all five individuals and where they're coming from, what their motivations are, so that we're, our messaging is needing each one at the pain point that they're at to be able to drive that conversion. And that's, you know, social media account-based marketing at its finest. But, you know, um, it's critical to treat other companies exactly the same as you would treat a consumer. So, um, you know, because B2B purchasing decisions are, you know, for much larger dollar amounts, it's critical to create that positive interactive relationship with your customers, with all those decision makers. But marketing's job in that B2B enterprise sale is to help sales to create those relationships to shorten that gestation cycle. Because on an, say an enterprise solution, it may be an 18 month sales you know, cycle. And if you're doing it right, if you're really connecting and building these relationships and marketing is truly supporting sales to use social media for social selling with all those decision makers, it's about helping to create those relationships and then shorten that gestation cycle on the sale, but realizing that you're still selling to human beings, to people and alleviating their suffering and pain on their, you know, with whatever professional level they have so that your solution is the one that they pick. Your brand is the thought leader and the go-to. So Tamara, I know you're a busy gal. I'm going to let you go. But just before we do, how do people connect with you? Oh, well, I love connecting with people. So I would, I would love that. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn, it's Tamara McCleary. And you'll know it's me because it'll say CEO Thulium. Uh, you can connect with me on Twitter. I'm at Tamara McCleary. And, um, you know, either one of my websites. So, so the business website is thulium.co, not com, it's .co, and tamaramccleary.com. And I would, I would love to connect. So, yes, yes, please. Super. Do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience? Oh, just, you know, use, use what you have, which is, you know, your, your power, your presence, um, your ability to take action, um, be fearless to execute and to become involved in the conversations happening and, um, you know, never give up. There's just no reason you can't accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish, whether that's with your business or with your personal life. And if you want to have that sense of fulfillment and achievement, all you have to do is focus on the quality of your relationships and you're going to feel amazing. So yeah, you can yeah. do it. That is sound words of advice, Tamara. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. I really enjoyed having you. It's been my pleasure, my honor. It was a gift to be able to spend this time together. And I look forward to future conversations and connecting with everyone.